Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits, specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Today we've got Alex Dunn. He's the president of Vivint. What I quickly found and have has been reinforced kind of through my career now is that um, everybody has like really different opinions Um, and you can go in and kind of give a pitch to somebody and they can think that you're stupid and it's the worst investment they've ever heard of Um, you can go give that same pitch to somebody else the next day and they think you're the smartest person they've ever heard you know listened to also i want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors i met these guys back on episode six ceo zach smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business bookly that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services and I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Alex, thanks for making time. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So for everybody who doesn't know Vivint um, across the country might be listening to this, tell us about Vivint. So there's really two Vivints. Um, We spun out a solar business. So there's Vivint Solar um, that we took public. And then um, uh, the business that... um, uh, we'll be talking about today is Vivint Smart Home, um, and it's a nationwide smart home business, and we really bring um, smart home technologies to the masses, um, and so things like security and cameras and thermostats and uh, door locks and garage door openers, um, and then uh, having that all work on a platform through one uh, app. And then uh, kind of the next generation for us is bringing AI into that so the home can start to sense uh, what's going on and and really help you manage um, uh, your home better. Like what would be an example of that? So um, we just recently um, rolled out uh, our um, Sky uh, service, which really is um, uh, essentially 
with the sensors in your home, we can sense uh, some different states, things like uh, we know you're going to sleep or waking up. Um, the home knows if you're there or you're, you're not or you're on vacation. And so because we are connected to things like thermostats and door locks and, um, and the security sensors and um, to garage door openers and other things like that, um, we can say the, the home can sense, hey, you're on vacation and either your thermostat is, you know, cranking or your front door is unlocked or your garage door is open. And so um, uh, Sky can start to make suggestions to you on things that um, you could do to maybe manage your, your home more efficiently or make it more safe. Um, and so that's where we're, you know, using some of that AI to, to, um, uh, help people kind of manage their homes. So you can see a, a world in the future where, um, you know, the, most people that own a home have a nightly ritual that they go through before they go to sleep, you know, lock the doors, turn this on and off, do, you know, kind of check everything. Um, we think, um, what you should do in a smart home is just go to sleep and, when your home sees that you know you're doing that, then it kind of shuts the house down to the level that that you would do that. So now you don't really have to to have the burden of having to to manage that process every night. One of the things I think as uh, would be fun to talk about is people who haven't been a part of large transactions, um, or maybe working with some of the bigger finance companies in the world. Can you talk a little bit about first um, bringing equity in, like the Goldman Sachs and the Peterson Partners and that kind of stuff, what that was like? Yeah. So we did a deal um, 12 years ago. The company was uh, really small at the time um, uh, where we um, did two things. We sold uh, 50% of the equity in our business, and we sold that to Goldman Sachs, Peterson Partners, um, and Jupiter Partners. So Peterson is a private equity group in Salt Lake. And uh, Jupiter is a group out of New York. And, um, and then I think everybody knows Goldman. So um, we sold 50% equity in the business. Um, we also put in place at that time a uh, credit facility um, that would allow us to grow our business. We, um, part of our business model is to make it affordable, the solutions affordable to the consumer. We uh, subsidize a lot of the cost up front. Um, and then, you know, we're getting kind of contractual um, recurring revenue over the long term. And so in order to do that and, and um, uh, keep those customers, you have to have money up front. Um, and so the, the best way to do that typically is to borrow that money. Um, and so that really, when we did the transaction with Goldman and Peterson and Jupiter, um, we sold 50% equity in the business. We also put in place a credit facility that allowed us to help transform the business from the time before that transaction. We were essentially selling alarm contracts for other companies like ADT um, or Monotronics. So we were a dealer. And then the investment thesis around having that equity brought in and the credit facility was that we would transform into a full service company and keep the customers ourselves. Um, and so, um, you know, we it actually took a really long time to to, to get the equity. Um, I headed up that process, and in fact, I was outside of the company um, and was um, 
I was uh, working with Mitt Romney when he was governor of Massachusetts. And that for me, I had done two high tech startups before that. And I uh, was with him for about three years. And it was um, always intended that that was just a little bit of a detour for me. And so I wanted to get back into business and, and ideally find a company to buy. And so um, I had some um, uh, private equity groups that I had known and said they would fund a deal if I found it. And so I went and found, um, back then it was Apex, um, and uh, brought them the deal. Um, they actually turned it down. Um, and so then I actually had a decision. I said either I, I've got to just, this is done, or you know, go find some other kind of equity sponsors to, to do the deal. And so I did that. Um, and got a lot, a lot of people. I mean, I, th I think I, it was over a dozen, um, uh, groups that I got to like investment committee process, which is pretty far along the process that then came back and said no. And one of the big problems back then was, um, they, the company hadn't kept any of its customers. So there was some risk around, can, you know, you build out the infrastructure to bill and service and, and do those things and kind of what happens, what the attrition uh, profile of the customer would be like. Um, and so it took me, took a long time. It took like um, about a year to find anybody who, who wanted to kind of take a chance. Um, the good thing is, is that we, you know, for all three of those groups, we delivered kind of one of the best returns on any deal they had ever, ever done. Um, and and even for Goldman, I think the when we sold the business to Blackstone and and those original investors um, cashed out, um, we were a really big chunk of Goldman's net income for that quarter. The whole the whole bank. Um, so we we did well for the people who took a bet on bet, a bet on us early. Um, but that's kind of how how that worked. Any advice for someone who's looking at a process like that or what you wish you would have known going into it? Yeah, I mean, the the truth is um, when you go into a process like that, um, I think initially I, I thought what I had to do was was position kind of the investment in a way that would be attractive to um, the people that I was pitching to. Um, and... What I what I found, what I quickly found, and have has been reinforced kind of through my career now, is that um, everybody has like really different opinions, um, and you can go in and kind of give a pitch to somebody, and they can think that you're stupid and it's the worst investment they've ever heard of. Um, you can go give that same pitch to somebody else the next day, and they think you're the smartest person they've ever heard, you know listened to, and and it's the best investment um, that they've ever heard. And so I think what's really important is that you have to have um, a, a really strong perspective on what you, what you think um, and what you think the opportunity is, what you think the investment thesis is, um, and you have to have kind of the courage of your convictions around that. Um, and if you do that, um, then – and you're – you know, you're, you, th there also has to be like a kernel of truth because I hate saying this to people. Um, and then they tell me, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I have this idea to, you know, um, 
an anti-gravity machine or something, you know, whatever. And they're like, I, I really, I have the courage of my convictions. And it's like, okay, there's, I don't know that there's even a kernel of truth in kind of what your, your idea is. So you, ha you have to have enough self-awareness to know, hey, you know, um, one, there's a lot of risk and it may not work. Um, but two, there's some kernel of truth in what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, even if it's a big, you know, um, kind of outrageous idea that there's still some, you know, I think, um, you've got Elon Musk is a guy who dreams big and, you know, um, but there's kind of kernels of truth and everything that he's trying to do. And he, he is able to, at least in some measure, start to deliver on that, right. La launching rocket ships and he's doing it. Um, and so you have to have enough self-awareness and have a kernel of truth. And then I think you have to have the, the courage of your conviction and um, kind of um, be okay with people saying no to you. Um, I've actually found that usually the best opportunities are not ones that everybody sees. And um, if you have too many people like agreeing with you, then um, my guess is there's, there's not going to be as much opportunity because it, it's more apparent and then lots of people are going to be doing that. And so I had a, a really strong kind of courage of my conviction and the investment thesis around this company. Um, and after a lot of no's, I was able to get, you know, a yes and then kind of parlay that into multiple yeses and then able to get the deal done. Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Skillshare. They're doing a promo for us. For everybody listening to the show, it's Skillshare.com slash leader, where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code, Skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from. And, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's Skillshare.com slash leader. Um, thinking about this concept you brought up a couple times there about self-awareness, you know, I think anybody getting into entrepreneurship obviously has to be, ignore statistics to some degree <laughs> to be willing to get in, right? Yeah. So, um, so most people who are out in chart, you know, out in front, they're in charge, they're a leader, they're an entrepreneur. Uh, there's probably a lot of them who have a pretty good courage of the conviction, yep. right? Conviction. But um, as far as what if someone was wanting to foster more self-awareness? Do you have any ideas for how can you build a habit of, towards self-awareness? I mean, telling myself be more self-aware is probably not going to get it done. You know, actually, the funny thing is, is that if you're telling yourself to be more self-aware, you probably are self-aware. Um, and I've actually had this conversation with some, of some of my friends and people here. Um, it seems to me, I don't self-awareness, you either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you don't know you don't have it. It's, it's a little bit, it's like, 
Um, in fact, uh, Matt Iring, our chief strategy and innovation officer, said there was a research study done on how to um, uh, some research done on how to like develop self awareness and 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 the the uh, results were um, it, you kind of have to have it, and if um, you don't have it, you don't know you don't have it. That's kind of the nature of being self aware. And so I'm not sure um, I could give advice on. You know, I, I think at the the one thing I would say is is that there has to be, um, um, and the, the way I tried to describe it is there has to be some kernel of truth in what you're trying to accomplish, right? And, um, you, you know, I see. I mean, people come to me and pitch. Um, uh, Todd and I invest um, in companies and. And, um, you know, sometimes people just don't are not really aware that what they're pitching um, is either not realistic at all or it's not the, the way it's positioned, the way they're positioning themselves in the market is not unique or um, and and so it would be hard for me to say to them, hey, you know, you just need to have the courage of your conviction because you know, I'd be like, I, I think they're, they're, you know, they're just going to keep kind of hitting their head against the wall here and never get where they want to go because there's kind of no kernel of truth in, in kind of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but I also tell people, um, on the flip side, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure there were people, um, especially early in my career when I was raising that capital that maybe thought the same thing about me. And so, you know, ultimately you have to kind of live and be your authentic self. And, um, and, and, you know, if you, you feel strongly, you need to, to go chase a dream that other people think is crazy. Um, then you should do it, but you should at least understand why people maybe think it's crazy and how you're going to, um, do what they think either can't be done or shouldn't be done or won't be done. Um, not just like, well, it's going to happen, right? You And so for me, I knew exactly why people were not investing in the company, and I knew that I could overcome uh, uh, that risk, which which back then was they hadn't kept customers, and could you can you build a full-service company around the ability to keep customers? And I knew... For me, I knew that was something that I could do and was not, I didn't view as a big risk, but other people did. Um, and so, you know, it, it's very hard. And, and ultimately, I think um, it's about kind of being authentic to who you are and and going and, and, you know, trying to accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish and being as self-aware as you can be. But also, you know, if I would have listened to what everybody told me, I wouldn't have done really anything I've done in my career. You think about this concept of being authentic, trying to be our real selves. Um, why do you think there is a temptation not to be? So at least for me, and I can only speak for me, um, I had a perception early in my career that successful people were a certain way. Um, and when I would look at people and say, okay, this person is successful because they've done this and they're this way and they have these personality traits, um, it would cause me like a ton of stress because I'm like, well, that, that's not really me. I mean, that's not how I am or that's not my strength or I don't know if I can be that way. 
Um, and so I think the false narrative that was in my head um, early was that I had to be like somebody else in order to be successful. And I think, um, again, as I have matured and had lots of experience now, what I've realized is that the most successful people, um, and this is you know something I believe pretty strongly in, is is that they they uh, strengthen their strengths and not their weaknesses. Um, and so that to me is being authentic to yourself because you kind of realize, okay, here's here's what I'm good at, and um, and many times it's not even a conscious thing. It's not like people saying, okay, I'm good at this. So I'm, it's just it's what they're passionate about. It's kind of what they gravitate towards. And so they become really good at those things. And then that's what leads to much of their success. And so if, you know, I'm looking at a person like that and it just happens that my strengths or the things I'm interested in or good at are not those same things, the worst thing I would tell someone to do is try and emulate that. Um, Because if you're, you know, trying to like, if you're trying to turn your weaknesses um, into something stronger than someone's strengths, it's really hard. Um, and so I, w- I would say to someone, try to be true to who you are, right? If maybe, you know, I think you, you look at different kinds of business leaders. Mark Zuckerberg, um, obviously a very successful guy, doesn't seem to be the most personable person. Um, and even, you know, uh, detail oriented and and but he's brought in people that have helped fill that but he has he he has played a really super important critical role in getting facebook to where it's at but you look at different you know entrepreneurs and leaders and they're very different they're much more outgoing and uh, charismatic and and but i think typically um they those were traits that were kind of came naturally or strong um, uh, to, to begin with. And then they kind of built their success around those instead of saying, oh, this is what I need in order to be successful. So I'm going to, you know, create it. I, I feel like there's a lot of truth in what you said. It, to me, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan didn't make a lot of money playing baseball principle, right? So yeah, exactly. Why not spend a lot of time trying to figure out what your basketball is? Even though Nolan Ryan make a ton of money playing baseball, why don't you figure out what your basketball is? That that's right. And I've actually found that um, typically the things we're good at, um, we we actually value the least. Um, and I have many people um, that I've worked with and in Vivint and my other companies that um, who are exceptionally good at certain things. Um, but they look at other people and they're like, I I don't have this, or I wish I was better at this. And, um, and I'm like, but you're the best in our company at, you know, X, you're the best, um, you know, product manager. Um, and they're like, well, I wish I was more technical or I wish I, you know, so-and-so has. And, um, I think it's because typically the things that we're best at come a little bit easier to us. Um, if we're good at it, we're interested in, and it, it maybe we're kind of have some innate abilities, um, that stuff kind of comes easily and, um, and we don't actually have to, to exert as much effort to be really good or better than most people. 
Um, but then you, you see the things that you're not very good at and you look at other people and say, oh, I wish, you know. And again, my advice um, in those situations has always been, look, strengthen your strengths. Like become doubly good at what you're the best at and you will be way more successful than, you know, picking something that maybe is really hard for you. Now, I would also say you have to um, neutralize your weaknesses. So I wouldn't, if your weaknesses are like pulling you down, then it's maybe hard to to get to where you want to go. So you need to neutralize those, but I don't think you necessarily need to make them your strengths. Especially in organizations though, maybe you can hire someone to cover that, or maybe you can get programs or something structurally to take care of that, right? hundred percent. And um, when you're building teams and you're a leader and you're an entrepreneur, you need to, again, you need to, I think the most, you need to have self-awareness on, hey, what are, what am I good at and what am I not? Um, and, and then, you know, fill in those, um, fill in those gaps with people that have strengths that are complementary. Um, you know, and this is, there's tons of analogies with this. If you want to go back to sports, I mean, you don't, you know, if, you, if you're going to have a, a team of all centers or um, in basketball or all, you know, guards, um, you're, you're probably not going to be as good as a team that maybe has uh, complementary uh, pieces that, that play off of each other. Yeah. You know, we're, we're closing in on the end of part one of the, ep- of the interview here, but um, I feel like kind of what you're saying is, I feel like you're identifying how unhelpful comparison can be of like, you know, instead of focusing on ourselves and figuring out what our basketball is, when we start going around of like, oh, success people have that, look, I must try and figure that out, even, that, even though it's not my basketball. For sure. And um, it caused me a lot of angst early, early on. Um, Cause I would be like, I'm not sure I can be like that. Um, and, and the false narrative in my head was if I'm not like that, I can't be successful cause that person's successful. Um, and as I got, uh, exposed to a more broad set of people that I would have kind of characterized as successful in their chosen careers, I realized, um, one, they were all different and many times they were actually, not what you would consider a well-rounded person. Um, they had some really flat, you know, sides to their personalities and to their character and to, you know, their abilities. Um, and um, it started to help me uh, have more confidence that maybe, you know, if I, if I was authentic to who I was, that I had some things that I felt were strong, um, that I could kind of hang on to and start to develop that then would help lead me down a path that, you know, would hopefully um, allow me to, to achieve, you know, the same kind of success I had seen those other people achieve. I love it. It's kind of like recognizing they're a little lopsided makes it okay for me to be lopsided, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the truth is, you know, again, as I um, get more experience under my belt, I realize that um, they're actually pretty lopsided. I mean, you know, most people are pretty lopsided. Um, and so, um, it's, it's, um, it's okay to be lopsided. And, um, and so that must mean, you know, at least based on all the data points that I have and experience is that, um, that you don't actually have to be like a perfectly well-rounded person to, um, to achieve success. Like you can actually have weaknesses and, 
not be good at things and, um, and actually still, you know, achieve a high level of success. I love it. Let's end part here for part one. Make sure to tune into our next episode. We're going to ask, ask Alex about doing $2 billion transaction with Blackstone and, and some of his uh, examples in treating people. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.